Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Good morning, everyone doing well? Good to see everybody. Welcome online for those who are catching us that way. Hey, today we are in week six, I think it's week six, of our series through the book of James called Be Better. Let me do the preacher thing that's funny. Turn to the person next to you and say, be better. Sorry. I was saying to to someone, I think just before the service, what I love about the book of James is that most of what we we teach is actually not that complicated. he's, He's painfully clear sometimes. And today our text... I think you'll find that to be the same. It's not super convoluted. It doesn't take much. Like You could read it and know it. But I think the practice for us in, in moving through this letter is not like, oh, help me understand what it means because it's pretty clear. It's more about let's just sit and think about this for a little while. Let us like take in the depth of what he actually means and then by God's grace put it into practice in our life. And so just a little bit of review, James is the brother of Jesus and was one of the leaders of the first century church in Jerusalem. Now, as persecution ramped up against Christians in that time, the church had to scatter under persecution. They started to to spread. And so James, his church that would once gather with him and he would shepherd and teach and, 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 and pastor were now spread across cities and regions. And so James, like a good pastor, writes them a letter to encourage them in the task at hand, which was, how do we now follow Jesus in the midst of this new life that we're walking in, in the midst of pressure, in the midst of persecution, outside of the normal rhythms of community and gathering that we are used to? James is saying, let me equip you for that work. And James has one very major theme throughout this whole Letter And it's this, if I could sum up his letter, in like, it's like this. Your belief in Jesus must shape the way that you live. He's saying it's, it's not enough just to believe the right things. It's not enough just to say the right things. It's not enough just to say, ah, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. What James wants to know, he wants to say, yeah, that's good. I'm glad you believe in Jesus. But what I want to see in my people, what I want to see in followers of Jesus is that their life would reflect that which they say they believe. It's really easy, even for us, to put a little like thing in our bios that says I'm a Christian, like post a, you know, a Bible verse every once in a while. It, it's easy to claim the title follower of Jesus. What James forces all of us to consider is, does my life reflect that? And, and not just on Sunday when I come to church. It's easy to look like followers of Jesus on Sundays as we gather in church. What James is saying is like in every area of your life. Does it reflect the truth that you are a follower of Jesus? And so, so far, just really quick, James has covered themes like this. How do we endure trials? Talked about what does that look like? How do we overcome temptation? He talked about being doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. We've talked about favoritism in the church. We've talked about the relationship between our faith and the works that our faith produce. As we turn to chapter 3 this morning... James is going to cover the issue of speech. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, and I'll read our text this morning, verses 1 to 12. 
He says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We could turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder which the pilot, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. <sighs> James, so encouraging. <laughs> Just feel built up, ready to go. Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our God and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Ready to go? Jesus, thanks for your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you speak and you convict and you empower us to live in the way of Jesus together. Amen. Amen. We live in a cultural moment where there are a lot of words being spoken all the time. Of course, we've always spoken words, but now we have this ability to amplify the words that we say and speak words when nobody else is even around. Not only do we say a lot of words, but our speech now includes not only what comes off of our tongue, but that which comes through our thumbs. We can speak and post and have these platforms for dialogue and for speech. We live in a time where we have access to information about things happening all over the world. And at any given time, every single person is given a platform to say something about that which is happening. I don't know if you've noticed this. On top of the, our ability to speak about issues, there's a pressure. Maybe you felt this. There's a pressure in our culture to have something to say about everything that happens. Have you noticed that? Because now we know everything. We know that wars are happening and we know issues here and we know all of these things that seem to like flood our news feeds. But in the minute an event in the world takes place, we're flooded with everybody's opinion about that issue. Like the minute COVID was a thing, Everyone was an expert in infectious disease. Everybody had an opinion. And when every time an issue of injustice happens, everybody's got a thought about how to fix it and, and if it's right or wrong. Everybody's got an opinion. And then there's a pressure not only to hear what everybody says, but also to add your opinion to the mix. To have something to say. It's almost as if saying something is more important than saying the right thing. Just say something. And if you've paid attention, you would have noticed how often those words that people say, or maybe even some of the words that you've said, seem so very careless in hindsight. I had something to say, and now in hindsight, that looks a little foolish. 
That person, it sounded really good, but now in hindsight, I bet you they wish they could take that back. Here's what you will always find where words are being spoken. There is a positive potential to our words. And there is a destructive potential to our words. Words are very rarely neutral. There's positive potential and there's negative potential. And that's the problem with words, is that words are never just words. There's an old saying that all of us would know. And hopefully by now, we know how silly it is. The saying is this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How insane is it that adults taught us that once? (laughs) It was like it was a virtue. We know that's not true, right? And you know that's not true because you carry in yourself wounds of words spoken to you. And those wounds carry far more destruction than somebody throwing a stick or a stone at you. If you had your choice, you would take the stick or the stone or the broken bone. Because you carry it. Some of you, you, like, you can recall the words like to like, like the exact word of the sentence. You recall the exact scenario of when it was said, like all the things that were happening around you. Because words have power. Words are never just words. They have power to build up and they have power to destroy. But I wonder if you remember the last time you were on the giving end of careless or harmful or destructive words. We all have the wounds from words spoken to us, but do you remember that last time you were on the giving end? Do you remember that moment as the words were coming out of your mouth, you were just desperately trying to put them back in, but you realized in that moment it was too late because words have instant power. Words have power as soon as they're spoken because words are never just words. The Bible has a lot to say about our words. Let me do a quick survey through some verses in, just in Proverbs. Here's what the Bible has to say. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8. says, The wise heart accepts commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. Proverbs 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Proverbs 10, 21. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but, a, but fools die for lack of sense. Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue has power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Our text this morning in James has more to say about our speech. And the main idea is this, from James chapter 3. It's this, is that followers of Jesus must control their speech because the tongue has influence on life for good or bad that is disproportionate to its size. The first idea James gets at is this clear idea is this, is that the tongue is powerful. The tongue is powerful. And he starts by giving a warning to teachers and those who have a desire to teach. He says in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly, and we all stumble in many ways. It's likely that in these scattered gatherings of Christians that James was writing to, there was fights over who should be the teacher and who should hold places of prominence in their gatherings. 
But James warns them against this. And he says this, as a teacher, you know that your words hold greater influence over people. As a teacher, as I stand up here today, I have to understand and realize that I can't, I don't have the luxury of careless words. I don't have the luxury of just like figuring it out as I go because in this moment right now, my words hold influence over the room. James says, you have to think about that. You have to care about those things. And he says, those who teach will be judged more strictly. Some of us, we, we love the idea of the platform, like, get me up there. But we don't like the idea of being judged more strictly. Like, hold on a minute. That's not fair. It is what it is. Like, this is how it works. And so people should be careful to consider what it means to be a teacher. I was thinking about this. We have this church culture. We tend to glorify the platform, as I was saying. But it goes beyond just church meetings. It goes beyond church culture. Because it's never been easier to take the place of a teacher than in our culture today. I mean, just look at your Instagram feed. Everyone is trying to be an expert or a teacher in something, aren't they? Because we're all given a platform. You ever seen like the couple, the new married couple? They've been married for six months trying to tell everybody how to have a healthy marriage. There's always a Christian couple. It's like, what? The guy who's lost four pounds and wants to be a fitness influencer now. Let me show you how to do it. Got you. The first semester Bible college student that goes on and tries to critique every other teacher's, their theology and all those things. We can all do this. If you want, you could build a platform for yourself and try to become a teacher of anything that you want. And the warning from James here should apply to all of life, not just preachers. Don't take the role of teacher lightly because you will be judged more strictly on the words that you use. So there's a sober warning about the responsibility of becoming a teacher, but I think there's also a challenge in the way that we view our teachers. Teachers are prone to error and sin just like everyone else. He ends by saying we all stumble in many ways. I think we sometimes get the idea that our teachers are supposed to be these perfect people. I mean, if you know me, you're like, yeah, no, that like, ship has sailed, bro. <laughs> we have this, like, have you ever heard the term celebrity pastor? It's like a big topic a lot of the time. I'm talking about celebrity pastors, and there's all these weird conversations about it. But I just think, hey, who made celebrity pastors? We did. It's us. Because there's something in our heart as human beings that wants to say, I'm with that person. I, we, we put people on pedestals because it does something in us as we celebrate and say, yeah, I'm following that person. I'm with that person. I'm behind their ministry or whatever it is. Then we get disillusioned when they fall. We get disillusioned when they sin. We need to make sure that we don't put our teachers and our leaders and people of influence on these pedestals. We have to have high standards for those that we sit under their teaching, but they, they're not perfect. They have issues. They're prone to wander and fall. And you can come under godly teaching and authority without creating some Messiah complex about the person that you're sitting under. It's important to sit under teaching, but it's important that we grow as followers of Jesus so we know how to rightly test what's being taught. 
Don't put teachers on pedestals. Come under authority, but remember that they're human beings. James then goes on, he illustrates the power of the tongue and sets up the rest of the conversation when he says this, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Man, James says this whole speech thing is so powerful. This whole speech thing is so important that if someone could never slip up in the area of speech, they'd be a perfect person. That's crazy. Think about all the things that he could have used as an illustration to say this is what perfection in a person looks like. Like he didn't talk about like how they act in these settings or what they do in these or how they deal with their money. He talks about speech. If someone could keep their tongue all the time, they would be perfect. And why is that? We'll come, we'll circle back to this near the end, but it's because speech is one of the most accurate reflections of a human's heart. What comes out of our mouth is a reflection of what is in our heart. James uses these two examples to illustrate this in verses three and four. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us and we can turn the whole animal. Or take a ship as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. It's like this little bit in the horse of a mouth. This massive animal. You just have to pull it one way or the other. It steers the whole thing. Or a rudder in a ship. It's far bigger than the rudder, but the rudder has the power to steer that ship. So let me ask you a question. What direction is your life headed right now? Like if you were to think about your life, not just in this moment, but as a whole, is your life headed in the direction that is consistent with a real relationship with Jesus? What do your relationships look like? What kind of patterns do you see in your relationships right now? Is there health and unity or is there brokenness and dysfunction and drama? Is your life full of trouble and breakdowns or is it healthy and thriving? And whatever picture comes to mind, hold that up for a minute and let me ask you to consider your speech now. Because if what James is saying is true and our tongue has power to steer and direct our life, how is your speaking influence where you find yourself today, whether good or bad? How has your speech steered your life to where you are today? Because if James is right, there will be a correlation if we think about it long enough. This tongue of ours, though small, has power to steer our life. And here's what he's not saying. Don't take it this way. What he's not saying is that we can somehow just speak weird things into existence. I have a full bank account. I have a full bank account. I have a full bank account. I'm better looking. I'm six feet tall. I'm six feet tall. I'm six feet tall. That's not what he's saying. But like Proverbs tells us, our tongue can steer our life in the way of the wise or in the way of the fool. And so which path is your tongue leading you down? Your words hold power to give direction to your life. Then he uses a third example to illustrate the the destructive nature and power of the tongue. In verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Our tongues are like a little spark that can set a whole forest ablaze. You remember last summer? We couldn't breathe because the whole province was on fire. 
so many of those fires that brought such devastation and destruction were started by a small spark. And in the right conditions, a small spark can cause great devastation. It can cause all kinds of destruction. And in the same way, our tongue has that kind of destructive potential. In the right environment, in the right setting, many times you're not even aware of what that setting is setting up perfectly for a spark to ignite a great blaze. One careless sentence can destroy so much, can't it? Like think about people that you've seen in public spotlights that have had their entire reputation or life's work ruined in a moment because of careless words. If there's any golf fans in the room, like, and you follow golf, you've seen like Phil Mickelson had like a real bad whoopsies recently. And now all of a sudden, his entire reputation, decades that he's built, is now under fire. But this seems to happen all the time. We see people, they say careless words ruin their reputations. Because careless words damage. Some of you, those wounds you carry are because of somebody else's careless words. They maybe didn't mean it to be so destructive. They maybe didn't mean it to cut or to hurt that way, but careless words hurt all the same. Careless words bring destruction all the same. And the reality is, is that many of us have also been on that giving end of destructive words. James says, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Man, James is not, doesn't pull punches here. Some of us, I, I feel like I, I've talked to some people and they have this personality where they say, I just say it like it is. I'm a straight shooter. If you don't like it, that's your problem. If our tongue, like James says, is itself set on fire by hell, you might be a straight shooter, but that doesn't mean you can be careless with your words. Because our words have power. It doesn't matter your personality type, your words have power. It doesn't matter your preference, your words have power. And in this case, power to destroy. Well, let's talk a minute about the kinds of destructive speech we tend to see. Here's what I, when I grew up and I was, was taught things like this, and we're teaching through James, here's what I thought of when we talked about taming the tongue. I thought, that means I shouldn't swear. And as long as I wasn't swearing, I was doing what James said. Now, I'm not saying we should all start cursing. But I'm saying we need to think about the other ways our speech can destroy. Like, what about critical words that come from a critical spirit and not a spirit of love? That can destroy. What about racist speech? We've got to talk about these things. What about sexist speech? I mean, these things are present in the church too, aren't they? In followers of Jesus? Crude jokes? Slander? Have you ever been in that setting where someone's just not there, but they are being slandered in that place? Destructive speech. What about gossip? I think gossip is one of the most destructive forms of speech we can engage in. And what I see, I see it in my life and I see it in followers of Jesus. We try to let ourselves off the hook with this one somehow. 
we have all kinds of like gymnastics to get around the fact that like we're, we're gossiping in this moment, but we're like, no, no, it's fine because of this. No, no, it's fine because of this. I would say it if they were in the room. No, you wouldn't. Because you're a coward. There's a pastor named Scott Sauls, and he says this about gossip. He says, gossip is pornography of the mouth. It objectifies other humans. It seeks an emotional rush, rush at, the, at another's expense. It requires zero love, zero commitment, or zero accountability to the one being objectified. Our tongue has power. And as followers of Jesus, all of our speech needs to matter. And it's tough. Like, again, sometimes we try to say, well, this is the really bad stuff and this isn't so okay. I don't think James gives us that out. He says all of it has power to build up or to destroy. And it has to matter to us because we know the destructive nature of speech. And what we want is to build a culture where this stuff isn't accepted, where this stuff isn't the norm. And I don't mean like I'm not going to accept it from you. I mean I'm not going to accept it from me. I can't hold you to a higher standard that I won't hold myself to. And vice versa. We want a culture where people are built up by the words that we say. Because as destructive as our tongue can be, it can be equally as healing when used to the right way to build up and to encourage. Like that's the speech that we want. But a little bit of gossip, a little bit of slander, a little bit of racism, a little bit of these things can destroy a culture faster than it takes us to build it up. Nothing will ruin a community faster than toxic speech. I think that's why James is so clear about it. Because it has so much power. And here's where James gets even more challenging. He starts to speak to the duplicity in our speech sometimes. He says in verses 9 to 10, With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. There is a terrible contradiction that can happen a lot of the time. Where on one hand, we do like we were just doing a few minutes ago. We use our tongue to praise God. To worship. To glorify Him to adore him. That's what our tongue was intended to do. That's what it was created for. But it's also possible, and this has been present in my life and probably yours at times, where you can in one moment be praising God and in the next breath use that same tongue to curse and destroy. This is a terrible contradiction. And sadly, it's just not uncommon It's not uncommon in my life. It's probably not uncommon in yours. You've probably seen it in different places. I remember there was this one time years ago, we were having like some church drama. And church drama is always lots of drama. And we're trying to work it out. And I had these people that, in one hand, they would boast about some of the, the, I speak in tongues all the time, part of our speech. Speak in tongues, it's like, as if it was like this get out of jail free card. I'm like, yeah, you, you, 
speak in tongues all the time, but then over here I heard you gossiping and slandering and tearing that person down. Like what James is saying, this type of stuff in followers of Jesus, we expect that in the world. We expect duplicity of speech from the culture around us, but in us who follow Jesus, this should not be, he says. And he illustrates it like this. He says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt a salt spring produced fresh water. He says, this kind of duplicity of speech makes about as much sense as fresh water springing from a salt water spring. It's as wrong as a fig tree producing olives. A fig tree cannot produce olives. If it keeps producing olives, it's an olive tree. If it keeps producing figs, it's a fig tree. And this is very important because James is getting at the nature of what is produced. Meaning, what is produced in our life and through our speech reveals our nature. If the branch keeps producing figs, we know it's a fig tree. And in the same way, if we keep producing a certain kind of speech, it speaks to our own nature. It's not divorced or separate from who we are on the inside. Meaning, if what comes out of my mouth is consistently cursing and gossip, and slander, and negativity, that is saying something about who I am at a heart level, that's saying something about who I am in my nature. It reminds me of something Jesus said to some Pharisees one time. The Pharisees were watching Jesus and his disciples, and they were criticizing Jesus and the disciples because the disciples were eating before they'd gone through some ceremonial washing. Essentially, what they were saying is like, hey, like Jesus, they're not doing the external things that we require. They're not going through the external hoops that we want. And Jesus said to them, don't you understand that what goes into someone's mouth doesn't defile them? It's what comes out of their mouth that defiles them. What comes out of my mouth proves what's in my heart. Worship team, you can join me as we prepare to close. So James says, look, the tongue has power. The tongue can destroy. And he challenges this duplicity of speech where it's like where we've let ourselves off the hook saying I can praise God in one breath and curse people made in his image in the next breath. And here's what's crazy. Is James just leaves it at that. And he doesn't tell us what to do. He doesn't say, okay, here's how to fix it. He assumes a lot of things as he's saying this. He assumes that that his readers understand the teachings of Jesus. He assumes that there's some obvious corrections that can be made in this. But he doesn't tell us exactly what to do. So what does Jesus say about it? What is James possibly assuming the readers know and remember from the teachings of Jesus? In Luke chapter 6, verse 44 to 46, Jesus says this, Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick fig trees from a thorn bush or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So do you want to know what kind of person you really are? Your words will eventually show you. Because the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So do you want to know, are you kind 
loving and patient, graceful, your words will eventually tell you. But do you want to know if you're impatient, if you're unloving, if you're hateful, crude, shallow? Your words will eventually tell you that too. And not just the words that come out when you're on your best behavior. I can be on my best behavior. I can put it on. But what comes out of my mouth when no one's there to keep me in check? What comes out of my mouth when nobody else is around to see? What kind of words come out when I'm mumbling under my breath? When I'm driving and I'm all alone? What comes out when I'm angry? What comes out when I'm in a position of power or control? What comes out and what things do I justify in saying about people on the opposite side of important issues to me? I see that a lot in the last two years is that we justify saying really horrible things about people who see an issue different than us. The anti-vaxxers will say horrible things and then the same the other side will say the exact same things back and we justify it as okay because we think the issue is big enough what does that say about my heart our words are connected to the state of our heart if our heart is good our words will be also if our heart is broken and toxic and unhealthy our words will be also because the mouth speaks what the heart is full of but thankfully we have some control over the state of our heart there's a dual approach to this the first is this what do we do as followers of Jesus we need to guard the words that we use we now know our words have power we now know that our words can bring a lot of destruction our words matter. They direct and steer the course of our life. They can build up or they can bring death. We know that we'll be judged for empty words that we use. So guard your words. Don't be careless in the words that you say. Be thoughtful in what you say. Think about what's coming out of your mouth. Like reflect on it. How did I speak to that person? How did I talk to that person? Well, what came out when I was angry? Reflect on these things. We need to guard the words that we use. But secondly, we need to tend to our own heart. If it's from the overflow of my heart that my mouth speaks, then I need to tend to my heart. On one hand, I need to guard my words, but the, the point is not just to be, be terrified of what comes out all the time. We have to go to the nature of things. We have to go to the root of things which is our heart. So how do we tend to our heart? Well, this is what following Jesus is all about. Discipleship to Jesus is about having our heart changed, not just our behavior tweaked. I mean, so, so many of us, will, we might leave a talk like this and be like, okay, I just can't, can't say these things, I just can't say these things, I just can't say these things. And eventually you just will because your heart hasn't been touched. But as we follow Jesus, it's constantly coming back to him and not saying, God, just deal with my behavior. It's saying, Jesus, change my heart, transform my heart. One of the ways we do this is through spiritual disciplines and practices in our life, which are all about just putting our heart before God, 
prayer and silence and solitude and reading the word and fasting and worship and community and confession, all of these things that Christians have been doing for thousands of years. They're not meant to just be a box that we tick to keep God happy. They're meant to be a a means by which we put our heart before God and say, God, change my heart. That's why we worship. That's why Pastor Ben doesn't let us get off by just going through the motions of these things because we want our hearts changed. And I can go and I can lift my hands. I can do all the things in my mind and my heart can be somewhere else. But when I come to God and I say, God, change my heart. When we do these things, we start to store up good things in our heart. But I can't do that work for you. And the person next to you can't do that work for you. You have to take responsibility for your heart. I have to take responsibility for my heart because out of it flows all of life. So how is your heart today? Think about your speech. Not just from like the last six hours. Most of you weren't up six hours ago, so you're good. Take a sample size, a decent one. What does your speech reveal about your heart today? What do you see? What evidence is like? Is there fires going on all around your life because you're careless with your words? Is it gossip and slander and all of these ugly things? Or, or what does what is what comes out? Encouragement and life giving and love and reveals our heart. No matter who we are in the place today, I'm confident that there's room for improvement in the way that we speak. So like we've done most weeks in this series, we want to just create a little bit of space and room for the Holy Spirit to do some speaking. To point out destructive areas of our speech. Perhaps to bring different occasions to mind where we might need to repent and ask for forgiveness. And then we're going to ask him to reveal what those things actually say about our heart and the state of our heart. And then we're going to ask for strength to repent and invite him to bring transformation to our heart. Can we stand? I'm just going to lead us through this in just for a moment before we begin to sing. Can I ask that we just close our eyes? Sometimes in these moments, I just like hold my own hands like out in front of me. Just helps me picture like my heart, my life, who I really am. And if you want to do that, you can. Holy Spirit, we invite you now to come and reveal where we're getting this wrong as individuals. Reveal what our speech might be saying about our heart. And it's so important to remember in these moments that the Holy Spirit, he he convicts, but he does not condemn. So he's not trying to heap guilt on you. He convicts so that he can lead us to life.
Holy Spirit, we don't want to just only guard our words, but we want our words to flow from a heart that is transformed by you. And so we offer our hearts as best as we know how or whatever that means or we ask that you would heal and that you would transform. Of course, it'll take more than this moment that we have here, but I pray that you would lead us as followers of Jesus to continually offer and lay our hearts before you and not just settle for surface level discipleship, but ask that you do the deep work in us. And so if where you've convicted Holy Spirit help us to repent maybe there's a person that's come to mind and you know I've gossiped about that person I've slandered that person and today your first step is to repent before God receive his forgiveness and grace perhaps there's further conversations you need to have but that's the starting point today recognize like my, I'm just always negative I just see like what's going wrong and what's poor and that, that speech just like affects people around me and, and today you're saying I'm coming back say God touch my heart in that area maybe when you're angry really ugly things come out and God wants to deal with the root of that in your heart this morning wherever you are, maybe just under your own breath. Can you just invite the Holy Spirit into those places? Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, we want hearts that are holy and pure and transformed by you. And I pray that our speech would reflect hearts that are being changed by Jesus in this community. I pray that as people get around us, that they would not encounter destructive speech, but life-giving speech that reflects hearts that are being made new through Jesus. I pray that as people get around us, whether gathered or scattered throughout the week, that they would be built up, that they would be encouraged, that our words would be words of truth and grace. But God, give us hearts that would reflect those words. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to continue to minister to our hearts. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, before we go, as a means by continually like just bringing our hearts before God, we're going to respond in worship, not just because that's how we end services is with singing, but because ministry continues to happen in these moments. And so I don't think the Holy Spirit's quite done. He wants to continue to just touch hearts, fill us fresh before we're sent out. So let's continue to worship together. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.